All right, everybody, welcome back to the showcase. I'm your host, Paris Jackson. On today's episode, we have had a sale. I'm going to go over the Robert Solvers selling the Suns as well as some Christmas Day preview. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the showcase. And of course, right after I say not much is going on in the NBA, we had a cascade of things. We had Steph Curry getting injured. We had Robert Sarva selling the Suns. We had Damian Lillard set the record for Portland for most points scored by a player in that franchise. So setting a franchise record for the Blazers and just a a bunch of other stuff, you know, a bunch of close games, tight NBA games. That Thunders-Blazers game on Monday was quite quite the showdown. Uh, unexpectedly, between those two teams, SGA has been on an absolute tear this season. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, man, he's uh, he's scoring a lot of points for that, you know, Paris Jackson MVP points race thing. And somebody's got to give me a vote at this point, man. I've been doing this for a few years now and got it down to a science. Um and it's, you know, it's just quite been the race. We'll do a breakdown probably next week for a shorter episode of the MVP race and maybe even wrap that into rookie. Um, and today I kind of just wanted to talk about the big news of the week, right? It's Robert Sarva going ahead and, and selling the Suns. Many people predicted that he was going to find a way to do that, you know, this season, especially with the article that came out a year plus ago, you know, about all the obviously corporate misconduct that was going on corporate misconduct being the nice way to say um being a racist pos um you know and it's been long known that the players in the organization did not view robert sarva in a good light you know a la donald sterling right so um you know him selling the team is a welcome um, events for I'm sure a lot of the staff players people in Phoenix things of that nature he's also making a pretty penny for himself and his investors um, basically 10xing his original investment you know it came up that Robert Sarva and his immense investment group bought their stake in the Suns for 401 million in 2004 so 401 million turning into 4 billion plus whatever revenues and profits they generated in the 18 years that they had the team is one hell of a hell of an investment, <laughs> right? A $3.6 billion return on $401 million invested. Um, you know, nothing to sneeze at, right? In the world of investments, anytime you can get a 10x on anything, whether it takes, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever is impressive. Um, you know, obviously, if you can turn $400 million into $4 billion in one year, that's a hell of a job, but to do it while, you know, running an organization that hasn't, you know, been terrible, right? The Suns had their seven seconds or less kind of period. Then, of course, you know, they, they missed playoffs for a number of years. And then with the with the drafting of Devin Booker and, you know, some other changes that they made, hiring Monty Williams as head coach, they've really turned it around in these last few years to be one of the, you know, top organizations if not in the all of NBA, but in in the West, so for Robert Sarva to go ahead and and sell the team for four billion, which is a whopping number, um, 
you know, it's, 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 uh, I don't even want to say kudos to him, but it's just the state of where the NBA is right now and money and everything else that's going on in the world. I mean, if you think eight years ago, the Clippers sold for $2 billion and then what was it last year? The jazz sold, um, for 1.66 billion for the Suns to get 4 billion. Um, it's kind of just a crazy, crazy number. Now, you know, the Clippers obviously are like the little brother team of Los Angeles to the Lakers. And that probably factors in to the price a bit, right? Always kind of playing second fiddle, being the, the smaller market of the two NBA markets in that city. Fetching a lower price makes a lot of sense, even though you're in a major metro- metropolitan area. Um, being second fiddle probably has to play in a bit to you know them getting an an astounding number at the time two billion but phoenix you know being the predominant not just nba team but being the predominant sports team in phoenix right because the arizona cardinals stadium i believe is in tucson um which isn't you know necessarily in phoenix well i guess it's in glendale so i take that back they're they're both in phoenix um but for the NBA Phoenix Suns team to be the predominant NBA team for the whole state, right? Um, you know, I was listening to another podcast and they made mention of its proximity to LA and Vegas and uh, some other major cities making travel to get to it really easy. Um, and just the way, and I hate, I hate even bringing this up, but the way that just inflation has played a role in all aspects of life, including the the value of these sports teams, right? Um, You know, Phoenix has built itself to be a very valuable franchise, both from, you know, what happens on the court, but as well as off the court, right? Phoenix is part of this grand exodus of Californians moving out of California into Nevada and Arizona to escape some of the taxes. And so you see property values rising, um, to meet the demand of, of the new influx of basically people that are moving in there. And, uh, you know, the Phoenix Suns are no, no, um, there's no safety from that wave of the rising costs of just about everything. So $4 billion for the franchise is the highest anybody has ever paid for an NBA team by a long shot. And it's really, um, you know, obviously, you know, for the Jazz to go for 1.66 last year to 4 billion, it's quite a jump. Um, but if you look at Utah and Salt Lake City, they don't have the attraction that Phoenix does, right? They don't have the good weather. They don't have a very diverse, um, you know, group of uh, individuals living there. They're in the snow, like inclement weather, right? So all these things going on makes sense why Phoenix would go ahead and fetch such a hefty price the other aspect to consider is that most teams once they get sold are doing very poorly right um and just you know going back through the historical records of sales this is the second sale that we've had in the 2020s there was 13 sales in the 2010s six in the 2000s six in the 90s and then basically five purchases prior to that uh, of of all the the team own owners that are currently owning a team right so the lakers and with jerry bus 
purchased his stake in them in 1979. They are the longest running owners of any team in the league. Every other team has been sold at least once since then, right? So you have the Lakers with the longest tenured ownership. Then you have the Pacers, whose owner bought them in 1983. The Bulls, 1985. Blazers, 1988. Then the Magic in 1991. And that was when that franchise was established, right? So, you know, you've had these long-standing owners for a long time, and then league teams didn't really change hands um, with high frequency until the 2010s. I mean, you had 13 sales in the 2010s um, of NBA teams, and if we just focus on those 15 for a minute, um, you know, you look at what their records were once they were getting sold, and you kind of realize – the teams were not doing very well. Um, Utah Jazz, I think, might be an exception. Utah Jazz were not necessarily floundering, but they were in the last year of the Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and we'll call it failed experiment, right? Because they didn't actually win anything, um, you know, and so they sold, and then pretty much the next year ran ran it back one more year and then blew it up, right? The Brooklyn Nets, who were acquired in 2019, same kind of thing for them. They weren't doing that great uh, as an organization and have since then turned it around a bit. Um, <clears throat> but again, you know, weren't doing super well, right? They kind of were coming off that season uh, where they remarkably made playoffs going 35 and 37 that year in the east all right the rockets when they sold to tillman fertita and his group in 2017 are a rare exception of a team that was doing well right this is right in the heart of the james harden chris paul era where they were repeatedly you know being one of the top ranked teams in the west and and failed to obviously even get out of the western conference playoffs you know they just kept running into the warriors and that's probably the only actual good team that was sold like at its height um and it was sold for 2.2 billion at that time so that that sell you know makes sense for how well the team was doing and phoenix suns basically fetched double Uh, atlanta hawks sold in 2015 they were doing bad clippers sold in 2014 and they were doing well but that has a bit of a caveat because you know, the whole Donald Sterling thing, very similar to the Robert Sarver situation, right, where, you know, the NBA is basically ready to push out an owner due to, you know, improper conduct or misconduct on the part of the owner, right? Um, 2014, that same year, Milwaukee Bucks, they sold. They weren't doing very well. Sacramento Kings, 2013, they've been the joke of the league uh, up until this year, you know, light the beam, going strong, shout out Sacktown, but... The Kings have been perennially bad for nearly 20 years. Memphis Grizzlies sold in 2012. They had just finished their long run. Eh, I guess actually the grit and grind era. You know, Zebo, Mike Conley at the beginning. Grizzlies weren't doing terrible back then, uh, but they definitely weren't burning the place down. The Pelicans sold in 2012, same situation. Detroit Pistons, 2011 sold, same situation. Sixers sold. 
same situation, right? Like, and then the Hornets and the Golden State Warriors and Wizards round out the 2010 sales. And all these teams have been sold. They were sold when the team was doing very, very poorly, um, you know, except for the Clippers and the Rockets. And we've already touched on, you know, kind of what was going on with them. But all these other teams have been, were historically bad at the time of sale, right? Definitely missing playoffs repeatedly um, and just, you know, not doing enough for the ownership to want to keep them and have them be sold. So for the Suns to be sold and be, you know, doing well from a win percentage standpoint makes them more valuable than a lot of these sales that had happened up until this point, right? When the Clippers sold for $2 billion in 2014, that was the highest by far in years and years and years, and that was because they had also been performing at a high level. That very same year, the Bucks sold for $550 million. So for the Clippers in the same exact year to sell for a 4X that at $2 billion, is quite a jump, but that's because they were doing well, right? And then you fast forward three years, $2.2 billion for the Houston Rockets, and then $2.3 billion two years later for the Brooklyn Nets, but that's because they're in New York, and, you know, they were revamping, and Jay-Z was selling his portion of the team and had done a good job marketing it, right? Um, and then, you know, of course, $1.6 billion for the Jazz last year, so $4 billion for the Suns this year. I'm excited to see what new ownership does. Um, you know, there was talk this offseason about, you know, DeAndre Ayton and the Suns basically non-willingness to pay, to pay, you know, into the luxury tax to keep this kind of core unit together. And part of it was because they were unsure about DeAndre Ayton's talents on the court. But the other part of it is that the Phoenix Suns have been historically tight with the purse. So hopefully you know, Matt Ishba, Ishbia comes in with a, you know, a wallet that is ready to basically pay for the burden of championship, right? And that's basically where the league is, right? As much as I love the Warriors, you, there's something to be said about the willingness of Joe Lacob and, you know, front office man Bob Myers to go deep into their pockets to go ahead and make sure the team that can win a championship is put together. And Phoenix will have to do that to compete for a championship, unlike, you know, they have been the, these past few years. So as long as new ownership, ownership is able to do that, then great. But of the teams that have been sold, the 15 teams that have been sold since 2010, only two of them have finals appearances, and that's the Milwaukee Bucks and Golden State Warriors, both of them having finals appearances well after being sold, right? So Milwaukee, it took, what, five, six, seven years, right? They went to the finals in 2021 and won. And then for the Warriors, sold in 2010, didn't make the finals till 2015, right? All these other teams don't have even a conference finals appearance, you know, save for the Memphis Grizzlies and the Clippers and the Rockets, right? Every other team has barely made playoffs, let alone had a deep playoff run. So it will, yeah, I would like to say it will take a while for the Suns to get there, but they're so much closer to the mountaintop than any of these other teams when they were sold that, you know, if the right management comes in and puts the right pieces in place and pulls the right levers, you know, who's to say that the Suns won't 
be the one to host the hoist the Larry OB um, at the end of it. You know, they're probably closest out of any team that's been sold, except for maybe the Clippers for as close as they were. Um, but then, of course, you know, Steve Ballmer kind of made some changes rather quick and fast to that team. So maybe Matt Ishbia comes in and does the same thing with the Suns to be determined. I don't think anything major is going to happen, you know, between now and the trade deadline for the Suns, right? We have basically Ishbia comes in. It's essentially January by the time this deal probably gets closed. Then he has about six weeks till the trade deadline to get kind of his bearings on not just the, the basketball team itself, and I'm sure he's been paying attention and everything like that, but just the overall operations, the ins and outs of everything from concessions to coaching to, you know, offseason contracts, all that good stuff. He's got six weeks to kind of get it in and make a trade. I very much doubt, you know, the Suns make anything drastic and then would look to this offseason to see any major shakeups. But they could go the way that the Jazz, too, and just take the rest of this year and one more full year to kind of get everything under their belt. It's, it's TBD, right? TBD, what we really can see from the Suns team under new ownership. But it is exciting. You know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are ready for Robert Sarva to take his, you know, proceeds and ride into the sunset and almost never be heard of again, a la Donald Sterling or anybody else that, that sells a team, right? Like, what are the Smiths doing? Who are the previous owners of the Jazz now? Just probably being rich somewhere, not being bothered by anybody or any media or anything. So, um, you know, was great to get a good big old piece of news that was a long time coming for the Suns. Happy for Phoenix. Need to get out there for a game. Um, but it is very, very exciting. So um, that's it. That was the big news for the week. Let's take a quick break, and we got two other sections for you real quick. Okay, so the other big piece of news this week, at least for me, was the injury to Steph Curry, right? Uh, the Warriors, who were already struggling, had entered that game at 500, and unfortunately, in a losing effort, Steph Curry also gets injured. And it's kind of a big deal, because when we talk about you know MVPs and everything like that, we could take a look at some of the statistics surrounding what happens when a team loses their best player. And it's a combination of two things, right? The first of all is the impact of that individual player has, right? A la, you know, Steph Curry, we talk about gravity, all that good stuff. We also talk about the ability of the rest of the team to step up and fill in that gap, right? Like if they weren't here, what would happen? And I think the most important juxtaposition of the effects of Steph Curry and the team around him are just to compare the uh, the records. And we'll just take the last three years, right? So since basically COVID on, because obviously teams change lineups, players fall in, fall out, things of that nature. But there has, you know, some teams have been drastically overhauled in the last few years, but I think it's just more pertinent to take the last few years as a sample set rather than, you know, the whole career or anything like that. Um, and so just taking the last few years where Curry has been missing from the lineup and you see 
the impact that he has on the floor, especially in comparison to some of his contemporaries who are also in that MVP race, you know, on a on an annual basis, right? So if we look at some of the best players in the game and their team's record with and without them, um, you know, you, you can see the impact that they have on the court. So for Steph Curry, I mean, the Warriors are two and seven in the nine games. Um, sorry, excuse me. They're one and five this year when Curry does not play. And they've had two losses over 30 points, which is horrendous, right? They win 16% of their games this year without Steph Curry. Um, and two losses over 30 points is also very bad. One of them coming to the Knicks, who aren't necessarily the offensive juggernauts um, that should be walking around beating teams by 38 points, right? So that was the game last night. Last year, the Warriors were 8-10 and 10 without Curry with four double-digit losses, and the worst of which being a 28-point loss to Memphis, right? The year before that, the Warriors were 2-7 and seven in the nine games without Curry with five double-digit losses and one of the worst losses I've ever seen in my life, which was to Toronto, which they basically doubled the score. It was 77-130. to 130. Now, the team in the 2020-2021 season was had struggled all year right there's no clay jordan Poole is still emerging right kaminga and moody weren't even on the team yet wiseman had been sitting out for most of the year and they basically were a terrible team that had steph curry right but in the last three years the warriors are 11 and 22 when steph curry is not in the lineup he's missed 33 games in three years so out of a possible whatever that number is i think it's like 180 right he's missed about 30 games due to various injuries 33 percent win percentage with him off the court now you look around at some of the top teams really in the western conference i feel like in the eastern conference there is less i want to say like star power in the eastern conference i mean you do have like Giannis, obviously you have Embiid. You have Kevin Durant, you have, you know, you have teams with star power, but I think the super superstars are less and fewer and far between in the Eastern Conference than they are in the West. But if you look around, and since we just finished talking about the Suns, Devin Booker has missed 23 games since the 2020-2021 season, and the Suns are 12-11 and 11 without him. Basically a coin flip. They win 50%, but that's 20% better than um then when Steph is missing from the lineup, right? You look at the Bucks, they're 16 and 15 without Giannis, 51.6% win percentage. The Clippers have had Kawhi in and out of the lineup for the last 3 years. He's missed 123 games and the Clippers are 62 and 61 without him. The Lakers without LeBron are closer to where the Warriors are at, but they're 23 and 38. So you're telling me the Lakers without LeBron are better than the Warriors without Steph over the last three years, you know, assuming the best player sits out. Like that to me is like, whoa, you know, the, the roster constructed of the Warriors maybe needs some improvement, you know, the help is on the way, right? You know, um, and of course, some of the games where Steph misses – you have to account, you know, obviously Clay was missing. Wiggins might also miss. Jordan Poole 
is having to play a much bigger role than he's used to. But nevertheless, Lakers are 23-38 and 38 without LeBron, and the Warriors are 11-22 and 22 without Steph, you know? Um, the Nuggets are 3-8 and eight without two-time MVP Nikola Jokic going on going on three time man this guy's going nuts um and that's actually surprising too Jokic has only missed 11 games in three years durable man durable for sure the Mavs are 10 and 16 without Luka that's a 38 percent win percentage the Sixers are 21 and 22 without Embiid um and then the Sixers have likely had a little bit more more talent than people would give them credit for the Blazers are 23 and 47 without Damian Lillard which is about e on even scale with uh <clears throat> with you know the Warriors record 32.8% versus 33%. 12 and 28 are the Minnesota Timberwolves without Carl Anthony Towns which is 30%. So the teams that are worse without their superstars out of you know basically the western it's kind of like the western conference juggernauts right and then you throw the bucks and the sixers in there because they have two perennial mvp players and Embiid and Giannis. but the only teams that are worse without their star are the nuggets timberwolves and blazers and the timberwolves and blazers are not necessarily at the top of the western conference right the blazers are having a surprising season for sure um and the timberwolves are have put together you know their first playoff run in forever last year you know and the nuggets have dealt with injury obviously Jokic has only missed 11 games he really hasn't missed all that many so it's not a huge sample set um but the Warriors without Steph are arguably one of the most impacted teams by not having their star now is that coaching is that the players themselves the roster makeups you know there could be a number of factors that play into this um but I look at teams like the Suns and the Bucks, who actually have winning records when their stars sit out. And uh, obviously, you know, the Suns and the Bucks are two of the deepest teams. They both went to the finals recently, right? Um, and have, you know, been very good in the regular season, have rosters constructed very well. Um, and you kind of get worried about the Warriors and Steph, right? Because if they're, let's say they are fully healthy, the Warriors would be in trouble if the team finds a way to shut down Curry, right? Because they've proven that you take Curry out of the equation and the Warriors are one of the one of the most impacted teams, having the lowest win percentage out of obviously the sampled teams. Um, you know, and per, maybe not purposely, but left off this list would be, you know, like a Heat without Jimmy Butler, a Bulls without Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan. Um, maybe even the Thunder without SGA, right? You can go around and look at a team and look at their best players, but really here we have the sample set of the top teams with a superstar potential MVP type player, right? We look at D-Book, Giannis, Kawhi, LeBron, Jokic, Luka Embiid, Damian Lillard, Carl Anthony Towns, right? Those are more than likely your MVP candidates, maybe not necessarily in that order, along with Steph Curry, right? So those are the teams where we look to see, you know, when that player is out, basically how bad is the team. Um, so it's interesting, man. So it, And it sucks because the Christmas Day matchup is almost ruined now because there's no, no Steph. Um, 
in the lineup, right, when they take on the Grizz, and that was kind of like the big game of the day. Um, and, you know, obviously we'll just quickly go over those those five Christmas Day matchups that we get for like an all-day basketball thing on Christmas that has come to be great. Um, but zeroing in on the Grizzlies and Warriors, um, Ja Morant almost injured his hand the other day, and, uh, you know, Curry's going to be out – Clay's day to day, Dre's clay to day, Wiggins has an injured groin, so that game is unfortunately a bit ruined. You you go through the rest of the games on the slate. Suns Nuggets is the late night game, and that unfortunately won't have Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr., um, which would have been a great matchup, right? Bucks Celtics is basically a, a repeat of last year's playoffs with the Celtics relatively healthy, and then the Bucks missing Chris Middleton because he's re-aggravated his injury which kept him off the court for a long while and then Lakers Mavs the Lakers are missing AD and Russell Westbrook though Russell Westbrook might just be resting because you know you know LeBron hates losing on Christmas in front of everybody who's going to be watching because obviously a lot of people tune in to the Christmas games and LeBron hates losing on Christmas so um, he might just be resting and could be ready to go for you know Sunday's matchup but you know no AD Mavs missing a couple bodies with Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba out, but you know that's not going to be as impactful as the the missing bodies on the other side. Sixers Knicks that's going to be the healthiest slate of the day. I mean the Knicks are missing Quentin Grimes to come off with that second unit, but other than that, both teams are fairly healthy, so that's going to be the game to watch along with your Bucks Celtics matchup because those those two are the healthiest out of the full slate of five um but christmas day basketball is always fun to watch um you know i'll be having picks out for that probably do the picks the night before especially if i'm going to be including the earlier games because they do tip off at 9 a.m west coast so you kind of got to wake up early to enjoy the full slate um but who doesn't like to wake up and open presents um i wouldn't know i'm from a latin family so we open presents on christmas eve and then we play with all our presents on Christmas morning, right, when we wake up. So how does your family do it? I don't know. Let me know in the Twitter comments. Um, <laughs> at PJ Showcase on Instagram and Twitter. Post picks every day. 16-5-1 rolling into tonight's picks. So a little bit of a hot streak um, so far. Probably just jinxed it by going ahead and, A, taking the Kings tonight in my picks, and, B, mentioning it on broadcast here. Probably just jinxed myself, so you might want to fade me for a few days. But uh, we've been red hot, so hope everybody's cashing in on those and enjoying the holidays. Usually things slow down around works. Um, say hello to the family for me. Make sure you're celebrating correctly and responsibly. Please don't drink and drive. It's wet and cold and nasty out. Would hate for anything to happen at this time of year. And we'll have one more episode before the new year. So not quite happy new year yet, but everybody enjoy the rest of Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa. And until next time, bye-bye.